this week. I have to confess, as I have prepared the sermon on our text from Proverbs this week, I've felt kind of an incongruity uh, between the tone of our text and what, what I see, what seems to be going on in the life of the church. So this passage is a stern warning against the suffering that comes from foolishness. And by God's grace, what I think I've seen this week uh, is a wise and humble congregation loving one another in the midst of a very different kind of suffering, uh, not born of, of foolishness. Uh, so I don't, I don't want you to be confused about what this passage is and isn't saying. Uh, still, I trust the Lord has good and needful things to say to us from Proverbs chapter 1 uh, this morning, and I trust that before it's all said and done, we will find precious gospel comfort, uh, whatever we are walking through in this passage. So turn with me now, please, in your Bibles or your bulletins to Proverbs chapter 1. I will read Proverbs 1, 20 to 33. Lord willing, then I'll pray and we will dive in. Let me read the text for us. Proverbs 1, beginning in verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refused to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Please pray with me one more time. Father, we need your help now. God, I need your help to rightly and faithfully and clearly Proclaim your word. Lord, we need your help to attend humbly to your word. So God, would the same Holy Spirit who inspired this text for the good of God's people attend now, Lord, and comfort those who need comfort. Lord, convict all who need conviction. Show every one of us the Lord Jesus Christ in his grace and justice and glory. Move us toward him through your word, by faith. 
God, would you protect us from any wrong application of these verses? Uh, Lord, would you glorify your name in our midst and do us much good because of your steadfast love for us? Pray for anyone who has not yet turned to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, that you would save them, that you would give them faith. Be with us, help us, help me. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Through Christ, amen. Well, last time we looked at Proverbs together two weeks ago, we noted that the first major section of the book of Proverbs, chapters 1 to 9, contains primarily speeches from a wise father to his son or sons about how to live well, about how to live wisely. Remember, in the first speech of the father, he warns his son. He says, my son, hear my son. If sinners entice you, do not consent. The father urges his son to listen to his own voice rather than the voice of his peers. Well, this morning, we meet a character uh, who features several times in these first nine chapters of Proverbs. Uh, This is either a character who is spoken about by the father, so the father is either telling his son about this character, or this character kind of interrupts the father's speeches, or at least punctuates them. And as you probably saw from the reading of the, the text, the character that we meet this morning is woman wisdom. Uh, you might, might recall from the introduction that the book of Proverbs was written to teach us wisdom. And by that, what we mean is that Proverbs means to teach us to live skillfully as God's image bearers. Uh, human wisdom, remember, is, is a matter of skillfulness in the things that matter to the Lord. And one of the ways that Proverbs teaches us wisdom is through this poetic image of woman wisdom. It's a metaphor. Uh, so Proverbs pictures wisdom. It personifies wisdom as this bold, in-your-face, street-preaching woman who calls everyone to listen to her and learn from her. She is not to be seen and not heard from. She will be heard from, in fact. It's very important to understand. Uh, woman wisdom is not a literal being. She's not a goddess. She's a personification, right? She's a human-shaped metaphor. Think about how we use Uncle Sam as a metaphor for the federal government. This one's better, though. Uh, Woman wisdom is a rich image of wisdom in a few different senses. Uh, So let me explain. Uh, Later in Proverbs, it becomes clear that woman wisdom actually symbolizes God's own wisdom by which he made the world. So woman wisdom stands in one sense for the skillfulness that God employed when he formed the world, when he created the universe. And because that's true, a woman wisdom is also a symbol for the moral order that God has woven into the fabric of the universe. A woman wisdom is a metaphor for the shape of reality that means that wise deeds generally lead to positive outcomes and foolish deeds lead to negative outcomes. So woman wisdom represents God's own wisdom. She represents the moral fabric of reality. 
And finally, uh, woman wisdom's speech to us, her her street preaching, if you will, that represents God's call to us to live wisely, right? Her threats represent the consequences of foolish behavior, and her promises uh, represent the fruits of wise living. Again, woman wisdom is not a real person. She's a personification. But because woman wisdom is a personification of wisdom, she also is a pointer to the very real person of Jesus Christ. And because as Paul tells us in Colossians 2, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's not as simple as saying, well, woman wisdom is Jesus. There's not kind of a one-to-one correspondence. We'll, we'll actually get into trouble, I think, if we say that. But Jesus is the person, the eternal, divine, and now human person in whom all that's best of woman wisdom is supremely true. Woman wisdom is a pointer to, some have called her a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is literally the wisdom of God, a very real person. So with the rest of our time this morning, I want us to do two things. Uh, first, I just want us to consider wisdom's warning. And that's really what this passage is. It's a stern warning uh, from woman wisdom. We're just going to walk straight through the passage in that point. And then second, after we do that, I want us to compare a woman wisdom with uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So first, wisdom's warning. And then second, let's draw some comparisons between woman wisdom and the Lord Jesus. So first, woman wisdom's warning, which is pleasingly alliterative. Uh, look there in verses 20 and 21. Did you notice where woman wisdom is as she's warning? Look at verses 20 and 21. They say, wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. A woman wisdom issues her warning very publicly. Her cry is audible in the places that everyday life takes you. In our day, we might say that woman wisdom is crying out in the school hall. She's crying out in the mall. She's crying out at the crosswalk, on the billboards, on the TV. Although if she's on TV, she might be telling you to turn off the TV. Right? Right? This is such a, a rich image here, woman wisdom's location. Uh, three things I think we draw from this fact that woman wisdom is crying out at the head of the streets, at the crossroads, at the city gates. The first, first takeaway is that wisdom is accessible. Wisdom is accessible. It's accessible to ordinary people, the people who walk the streets. Right? No impressive test score required. No elite status or VIP badge necessary. If you want wisdom, you, guy off the street, if you want wisdom, she offers herself to you. Wisdom is accessible. If you know how to listen and you're willing to fear God, wisdom is on offer to you. Second takeaway from wisdom's position here at the head of the streets, wisdom is also 
clear. Wisdom is accessible. Wisdom is also really clear. Right? The, the image used for wisdom here is not that there is a cryptic-looking old man in a high tower with a thick accent offering to enroll you in a PhD in ancient Phoenician hieroglyphics if you have the credentials and the money. Right? It's, a, it's a loud woman standing in public shouting very plain words to everyone. Right? What wisdom is saying is very clear to ordinary passers-by. Wisdom is clear. Now, don't, don't misunderstand. Sometimes in life, sometimes in life, it's really hard to know what the wise thing to do is. That happens. But most of the time in life, wisdom is actually really clear. If what we want to do is to be wise. That is to say, if we're not blinded by self-interest. Right? In numerous facets of my life, the next clear, godly, beneficial, right, wise thing is often not that hard to figure out. Sometimes it is, but quite a lot of the time it's not. It's shouting at me in the streets. Wisdom is accessible oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes. Wisdom is clear. A third, wisdom is available in part through general revelation. The third, wisdom is available through general revelation. That's what we see from her crying on the streets, I believe. So theologians, stay with me here. They've distinguished between two ways that God has revealed himself to us. One way that God reveals himself to us is through special revelation. So special revelation is when God works supernaturally to tell us who he is and what he's doing. So when God shows up at Mount Sinai in fire and cloud and thunder, and he speaks audibly the Ten Commandments to us, that's special revelation, right? When God reveals his plans for the future to a prophet, or he performs supernatural miracles, or he moves the apostles to write the New Testament, that's, that's special revelation. That's God revealing himself to us. Well, another way that God also reveals himself to us is through what theologians have called general revelation. So, for example, Psalm 19 talks about how the heavens declare that God is glorious, right? In one sense, even if you don't open the Bible, every time you go outside and you look at the sky, God is communicating to you how big and glorious he is. It's general revelation, right? Romans 1 talks about how God's invisible power and divine nature and even his moral law written on our consciences are available to all people, even people who've never had access to special revelation, right? God's general revelation that's available just through the observation of creation. That's from God as well. Well, I think one of the things that's implicit in the fact that wisdom is crying aloud in the streets is that wisdom is in part available, not entirely, but in part available through general revelation, right? Learning to live skillfully and wisely. In part, it comes from walking the streets. 
It, it comes from experiencing the world with your ears open to what wisdom is saying. Right? One way to get wisdom, and if you read much of the Proverbs, it seems like that's where the Proverbs, many of them, came from. One way to get wisdom is to walk through the world with your eyes open, to notice the shape and the inner workings of the world that God has made. In fact, to listen to other people who have observed how the the world works. One way to get wisdom is to watch and observe the fruits of other people's choices now and in history. So when you see someone lie, and sooner or later their lie blows up in their face and hurts other people, and without opening the Bible, you conclude, hey, Lying's not a great idea. I shouldn't do that. Right? That's wisdom. Right? She's shouting at you, hey, lying is a bad idea. When you see someone who dominates every conversation that they get in, and you observe that that pushes other people away, and you say, hey, if I want to build relationships, I'd probably better learn to listen as well as to talk. Even if you didn't open the Bible to conclude that, by the way, the Bible also tells you that, that's wisdom, right? We, we perceive a part of wisdom through general revelation. So friend, if you, if you want to be wise, supremely, we ought to listen to God's word, right? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of not just God generally, but of Yahweh, who has revealed himself in special revelation. You can also get a lot of wisdom, by going through life with your ears and eyes open, by thinking critically. Wisdom is crying out in the streets. All right, pick up the pace here. Uh, Look there at verse 22. What is wisdom saying in the streets? Well, verse 22, she says, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And fools hate knowledge. And three characters we need to meet in order to understand the book of Proverbs. Three characters in these verses. First is the simple. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple, says woman wisdom. So the simple in Proverbs are those who don't have wisdom yet. Uh, one Bible commentator actually translates this word as the uncommitted are those who just haven't yet gained wisdom. The simple stand in contrast to the people at the end of this verse, which are the fools. To be simple is not to have wisdom, but it's also different than being a fool. As our text here says, a fool hates knowledge. That is to say, the fool has encountered knowledge and has encountered wisdom, but has rejected, rejected it and habitually rejects it, right? Two hallmarks of the fool in Proverbs. First, the fool does not fear God. The engine behind the fool's behavior is not humble, awe, and reverent delight toward who God is. The second hallmark of the fool in Proverbs is that he does not listen. You cannot tell the fool that he is wrong. The fool hates knowledge. Third, third character in this verse is the scoffer. And the scoffer is literally the worst. 
The scoffer is the calcified fool who has grown to delight in opposing wisdom. The scoffer hates what is good and loves what is evil. The scoffer is the mocker. He is the arrogant, hardened, anti-wise man. Did you notice in these verses that wisdom really here is going after the simple? That's, that's who she's talking to directly. Right? She says, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? And do you notice her address to the fool and to the scoffer it is more oblique, right? She speaks of them in the third person, almost like she knows that they're not going to listen, right? How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will those fools over there delight in their, or hate knowledge, and the scoffers over there, the scoffers, delight in their scoffing third person? Uh, did you also notice that, that what keeps the simple and the fool and the scoffer from being wise is not their IQ, it's not their level of intelligence. Did you see the thing that keeps the fool, the scoffer, and the simple from being wise is what they love? Look at that. Verse 22, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Isn't this an interesting picture of foolishness, right? Often we think of ourselves as conflicted and constrained by our circumstances from being wise, right? We think, man, what I really want most is to be wise. But there are these other things outside of me that are keeping me from becoming wise. And that can happen. But most of the time, when we're not wise, it's because we don't want to be. It's because we enjoy the verb delight. It's because we love the less demanding path of simplicity or of foolishness. Or we even find joy in mocking. A lot of the time, the reason that we're not wise is because the knowledge and the reproof that lead to wisdom, they make us uncomfortable. And so we hate and deny that knowledge, right? The problem with these people is not, at least the fool and the scoffer, it, not that they don't know any better, it's that they love living like they don't know any better. That's convicting. There in verse 23, uh, we get the heart of wisdom's offer in this passage. What, is, what does woman wisdom want these people who are listening to her to do? There at verse 23. Woman wisdom says, if you turn at my reproof, turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Listen, if, if you want to become wise, this is your go-to move. If you want big biceps, your go-to move is the curl. If I, I, so I hear, right? No experience there. If you want to be wise, your go-to move is turning at reproof. The fundamental step in getting things right is changing when you realize you're wrong. The fundamental step in learning to be correct is learning to be corrected. All right, what woman wisdom wants from us 
is that we turn at her reproof. That's the heart of it. When we see that what we're doing is unwise, that it does not lead to life and blessing and the flourishing of other people and the glory of God, when we see that, when other people see that and they tell us, when God's word illumines that what we're doing is not wise, what wisdom wants from us is to learn to humble ourselves to acknowledge that we are wrong and to change directions. That word there translated uh, turn, that word literally means turn, right? It's not a complicated idea, right? When you turn, you're going one way and then you change the direction that you're going. If you want to be wise, when you realize that you are headed in a foolish direction, you change the way that you're thinking, the the things that you're doing, the people you're with, the habits that you're feeding, right? You, You cannot drive safely in Northern Virginia if you refuse to turn the steering wheel at the appropriate times. Similarly, you cannot live wisely unless you learn to turn, to change your course when the traffic signage of life requires that you do that. My friend, listen, this is one of the most important questions that you need to be able to answer about yourself. Are you humbly correctable? Are you able to humble yourself and turn at God's wise reproof. Even when the reproof that you receive is not wise, because sometimes that happens. Sometimes people's reproof is foolish. Are you able to ransack their reproof for something that might be wise? Even if the person criticizing you is mostly wrong, Are you more interested in humbly turning from foolishness to the glory of God or in vindicating your rightness and your wisdom in your eyes and the eyes of others? Are are you able to see, in fact, that a lot of the criticism that we receive is wise and we just don't want to hear it? Here's, Here's wisdom's offer to us. Verse 23, if you will turn at my reproof, She says, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. That first line is a metaphor. I will pour out my spirit to you. Some translations have, I'll share my heart with you. I'll tell you my deep thoughts. I'll become your teacher. I'll make my words known to you. I will tutor you. I will help you. I will teach you. I will make you wise. If we will turn humble ourselves and turn at wisdom's reproof, she will teach us to be wise. That's really the positive side of wisdom's warning, uh, verses 20 to 23. The rest of the passage, except for the very last verse, uh, describes what happens when we don't listen to wisdom. And the point of the next several verses is painfully clear. Uh, Let me read from verse 24 to verse 27, what will happen if we don't listen to wisdom's reproof? Wisdom says, because I have called and you refused to listen, 
have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Right, the, the point could not be clearer. If we don't listen to wisdom, wisdom will laugh in our face when it goes badly for us. Remember, woman wisdom is in part a description of the moral fabric of reality. A woman wisdom personifies the way God has designed the world to work and does work often, but not always in our broken world. All right, don't, don't we see this dynamic in our world? Again, not everywhere, but more often than not. Right? Can you think of a time when the fruit of your foolish decisions was that wisdom ended up laughing in your face? Right? Irresponsible f- spending that feels like freedom now, right? it leads to financial enslavement later. Right? Laziness and procrastination now that feel like the good life they lead to panic and unpreparedness and even failure when the deadlines hit and we've got nothing to show, right? Venting your anger with no filter, it feels so powerful in the moment. You feel so righteous acting out of your anger. But later you realize that all you've done is bring yourself and people that God loves into a world of hurt. When you are foolish, sooner or later, wisdom will laugh in your face when you reap the consequences. Here's another, another example. Uh, Christian, think about your relationship with the Lord. Uh, right, surely you've noticed that your relationship with God, I'm not talking about how happy or sad you are. Your relationship with God can be characterized by faithfulness and obedience and righteousness and godliness while you're very sad. Those things are deeply compatible. But your, your love for the Lord, right, your closeness with the Lord, your trust in the Lord, right? haven't you noticed that that's how that is on a given day? It's not just a product of how you live that day. It's a product of your attitude toward God's grace and toward his word and toward his people over the past year and the past two years and the past 10 years, right? Your your heart toward Christ today is in part the product of your heart toward Christ, the decisions of your heart toward Christ over a great period of time. And Christian, which one of us has not made the path of faith and repentance harder for ourselves through accumulated weeks and months and years of walking in foolishness, right? Haven't we all formed habits, habits of speech, habits of thought that we know are not good 
and do not lead to life, but that we also know will take us years to be free from their grip, from their temptation. Right? Aren't, don't we all have ungodly aspects of our character that we've built up over time and that we do not find easy to tear down in a moment of repentance. Friend, the, the pain that we feel when we think about that is woman wisdom laughing. It is the perfectly just and right consequence of foolishness. And it's meant to be a kind warning from our Father so that we will turn, so that we will turn to him for mercy. Please don't misunderstand my comments about our relationship with the Lord. Whoever you are, wherever you, you're at, whatever the past day or year or decade or the rest of your life has been like, if you will turn to Jesus now, he will receive you mercifully now. That doesn't mean that foolishness doesn't hurt. Folly always makes wisdom later harder until eventually wisdom becomes impossible. If we continue in folly, eventually wisdom becomes impossible. In college, I used to work for the Learning Lab, uh, which was the school-sponsored peer tutoring center. And I used to tutor Latin, and you are free to make fun of me for that. And uh, one of the students that I used to tutor was a, a brilliant guy. He might have been a genius, uh, and I'll just call him Daryl. Uh, Daryl was a genius, but Daryl hated Latin with a passion. But as a history major, Daryl had to study Latin. And Daryl was on academic probation and therefore required to attend the learning lab with me regularly for help with his Latin. And during our tutoring sessions, Daryl would not focus on Latin. He wanted to talk about anything else. When I would sort of draw his attention to the work, he would like look at my face, try to read my face, and just guess answers without thinking. I'd be like, he'd be like, nominative, genitive, dative, right? I'm like, Daryl, are you thinking? Or are you just saying things so we can get to the next prop, right? So, well, late one evening, on a night that I was not working the learning lab, Daryl came to find me in my dorm. And he told me that it was the night before his Latin exam. And he was in a mighty panic because it had dawned on him that he did not know the Latin for which he would shortly be held accountable for learning over the past several months. And by God's grace, I think that I was kind and gracious to Daryl. I think I did some help for Daryl. By the way, that woman wisdom laughs at people in their distress does not give you the right to do that for reasons that we'll get into in a moment. But I was tempted. I wanted to say, Daryl, are you kidding me? Right? It's a little late to cram a semester of Latin into six hours in the middle of the night before your exam. Right? The phrase, too little, too late, applies here. Right? That's a really silly example. But the moral of the story is 
deadly serious. There will come a time when it's too late to be wise. There will come a time when it's too late to be wise. Look at what woman wisdom says there in verse 28 about when calamity strikes the foolish. She says, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, diligently, but will not find me. Right? The, the awful reality is that we can make such a mess through our foolishness that eventually we have no wise options left. At some point, we are so behind. The debt is so high. The habits are so ingrained. The relationship is so broken. The lies are so big. The burnout is so bad that on some scale, humanly speaking, there's no more hope. It's too late. And when that starts to dawn on people, what do they do? They start to try to be wise, right? Diligently. They look diligently for that woman wisdom who used to be shouting at one of the streets around here. It used to be so clear what the wise thing to do was. But now that calamity has struck, wisdom is nowhere to be found. Look again at verse 28, reading all the way down to 31. Wisdom says, Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Time out. Wisdom is not about Latin exams. I do not condemn Daryl for his hatred of Latin. He might have been more sensible than me in that. Wisdom is about living in the fear of the Lord. Right? Because they did not fear the Lord, verse 30, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Right? That can seem harsh to us, but can you see that it is perfectly just and right? right? Fools eat nothing in this passage, except the fruit of their own way. One commentator I read pointed this out. I thought it was very helpful. He said, if the world didn't work this way, God would be justifying foolishness. Because if you could be foolish indefinitely and get away with it, foolishness would be wise. The wise thing to do would be to be foolish. Because there's no comeuppance. But because God is so very good, because he is so very righteous, he has fashioned the world in such a way that spurning wisdom's reproof has consequences, and one day it will be too late to mitigate them. Wisdom's final words are there in verses 32 and 33. She says, For the simple are killed, verse 32, by their turning away. Right, Not turning in obedience to reproof, but turning away from reproof. Do you find yourself steering away from people you know who might rightly reprove you? The simple are killed by their turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. 
that word translated there, complacency. That word can also just mean rest. In some places, that word can be a very positive word. But in this passage, woman says that fools are destroyed, not necessarily because they rage against wisdom, but because they're comfortable without it. Like God comes to us and says, live in the humility, awe, reverence, and delight of me that is the fear of the Lord. That is what leads to blessing and flourishing for your soul. And we say, nah, I'm, I'm actually okay. Like, I'm fine. I'm at ease. I'm complacent. I have rest without all that fearing of the Lord. Verse 33 concludes. It says, but whoever listens, key word in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, hear my son. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 33, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Wisdom promises blessing if we will listen to her, if we will humble ourselves before her life-giving reproof. There you have it. That is wisdom's warning. Woman wisdom, she is right. She is just. She is in your face. She is tough as rocks. She is wise. She is good. But church, let me tell you now about someone better than woman wisdom. Friend, if all we have is the woman wisdom, can't you see we have no hope? Let me tell you now about the God-man, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you now in our closing minutes, three ways that Jesus is better than woman wisdom. Three ways that Jesus is better than woman wisdom. First, Jesus is more merciful than woman wisdom. Amen? There is a veiled suggestion in this passage that those who have been foolish but turn to woman wisdom will receive mercy. It's not explicit, but it, it seems to be implied by the fact that the calamity has not yet struck. But when you read the Gospels, you find that in spades. You find that the Lord Jesus is so much more patiently merciful than the wisdom that justly mocks us. When you read the Gospels, what you find is that the man Christ Jesus came to save the fools that woman wisdom mocks. Listen, there's a scandalous story in the Gospel of Matthew in which Jesus is sharing a public meal with flagrant sinners and fools. Matthew chapter 9, we read about a bunch of sinful losers, traitors, prostitutes, losers not accepted in polite society because they've made such a wreck of their life. And where are they? They are at the table with Jesus. He receives them. He eats with them. He, like woman wisdom, calls them, them for whom it is too late in the eyes of others to come follow him. Listen, 
however much a mess you have made of your life, whatever your deep regrets are, and the more honest and sensitive a conscience you have, you must know that we all should have them. However deep your regrets, however much wisdom is laughing in your face, if you will turn to Jesus, it is not too late. The Gospel of Luke tells a story about a criminal who is executed for his crimes by crucifixion. And as this criminal hung naked, nailed to a cross for his crimes, woman wisdom was mocking him. Wisdom is not the bad guy, right? This man is the bad guy. And he acknowledged, right? He said publicly as he died in agony that he was getting what his crimes deserved. But right beside that fool, there hung another man on another cross. And he was a wise man dying in the place of fools, He was dying so that criminals and sinners and fools like you and me might receive mercy, might not die under God's wrath. Listen, woman wisdom never died for anyone's sins. Jesus died on a cross to satisfy the righteous wrath of God against our foolishness. He rose from the dead. He is alive. He is reigning at God's right hand. And anyone who will come to him will receive not his scorn, but his favor, his help, his mercy, his forgiveness. Christian, listen, if you've been a fool, if you've scorned wisdom, Because God loves you, there may be painful consequences for your sin. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. But if you will go to Jesus, even though there is good discipline, you will receive his compassion, not his scorn. If you seek him, you will find him when you seek him with all of your heart. Jesus is wonderfully more merciful than woman wisdom. Second, Jesus is more just than woman wisdom. There in the final verse of our passage, wisdom makes this promise. She says, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. And that is a general truth, right? If you listen to wisdom, you're able to avoid many disasters that befall the foolish. But right, sometimes suffering and disaster happen to wise and godly people who are being obedient, who are walking in fellowship with Jesus Christ, whose sins are forgiven, who are not being punished. Sometimes disaster happens to them. Right, the books of Job and Ecclesiastes, they highlight how wise living in the life of the Lord Jesus and the life of his people, it doesn't guarantee freedom from disaster. And the flip side of that is that sometimes people do get away with their foolishness. Sometimes fools scorn and scorn and scorn wisdom. And in this life, it seems like wisdom never gets around to scorning them back. So listen, it is wonderful news that Jesus is even more just even more righteous than woman wisdom. 
Or maybe I should say it like this. It's only through the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes again to bring every deed hidden or open into judgment. It's only through Christ that woman wisdom's promises hold true. If you live wisely, it's very likely that things will go better for you than they would if you were foolish. But listen, this is the ultimate good news, as Paul says in Acts 17. It says that God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Listen, in the final analysis, no one gets away with anything. All sin, all foolishness will be punished either on the cross where Jesus died for fools and sinners to show them mercy or on the day when Christ comes again and he finally and eternally condemns all opposition and rebellion against his wise and good authority. Friend, before Jesus comes back, God offers marvelous mercy and forgiveness in Christ. But make no mistake, one day it will be too late to turn to Jesus. One day it will be too late to turn to Jesus. It would not be loving of me not to tell you that. In the Gospel of John, Jesus, I think, intentionally echoes these words of woman wisdom as he speaks about those who refuse to believe in him. John chapter 7, verse 33 and 34, Jesus said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. Jesus says, you will seek me, and you will not find me. That sounds like woman wisdom. John 8, 21, Jesus saying, speaking again to those who refuse to believe in him. He says, I'm going away. And you will seek me, and you will die in your sins. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The book of Hebrews puts it this way. It's appointed for man to die once, and after this comes judgment. Friend, listen, there's nothing more urgent than being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. One day it will be too late. God is merciful. God is patient. God is forgiving. God is long-suffering. One day the offer will be over. Listen, if you have any questions about that, talk to me, talk to anyone that you've seen up here after the service. Friends, as, as terrifying as it is that Jesus is more just than woman wisdom, do you see that for all who belong to Jesus, this is wonderful news? Because it means that because God has credited to your account, Christian, the righteousness of Jesus, when you sin, do you know what the just thing for God to do is? Do you know what the thing that God's righteousness obligates him to do when you sin? It's to forgive you because the debt is paid and God would not send you to double jeopardy, right? In this world... Christ's people often suffer, and oftentimes the godliest people seem to suffer the most seemingly unjust disasters that have nothing to do with the way that they have lived. But Jesus promises that all who listen to him one day will dwell, verse 33, 
securely forever with no dread of disaster. Right? You see that for those whom God has saved in Jesus, God's justice demands that he fix the world for you. God's justice is the force behind his second coming to wipe every tear from your eye and to reward you with the eternal life that Jesus has earned for you. Jesus is more merciful than woman wisdom. Jesus is more just than woman wisdom. Third, finally, briefly, Jesus is a better teacher than woman wisdom. Jesus is a better teacher. There in verse 23, woman wisdom promises this. She says again, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Can you imagine telling the Old Testament Israelites who would have heard this about the immeasurably more glorious fulfillment of these verses in Jesus Christ? Woman wisdom says, hey, if you turn to me, I'll, I'll talk to you. I'll, I'll share what's on my heart with you, right? Jesus literally will pour out his spirit within us. The prophet Jeremiah says that those who turn to Jesus as a result of the new covenant that God makes with him in his blood, God promises that by his spirit that doesn't just come to talk to us, but to dwell in us and to give us new life, God promises that he will write his good laws He will write his good wisdom on our hearts. Jesus won't just shout advice at us from heaven. Jesus will come to us and make his home with us. He will patiently, mercifully change us as we walk with him, as we walk with him toward the place where we will dwell securely with him forever, at ease without dread of disaster. Let's pray that he would continue his good work in us. Let's pray.